Well, we start our brand new summer series this weekend. We are going to be talking about the things that you have shared with me uh, by way of emails or on the care and communication card as questions or topics that you'd like to know some more things about. And one of the things that came through was this uh, interest in Eastern religions and what does God's word have to say about uh, Eastern religion and uh, is it right? Is it wrong? Can we adapt parts of it? Is it all good? Is it all bad? We're going to try to answer that. And incidentally, a couple of years ago, I did a series called uh, the, uh, the, the, Crescent, the Star of the Crescent and the Cross, Which is Right. That had to do with um, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And if you missed that, I know in the Resource Center they have those uh, CDs available and you can pick those up. But I want to talk about Eastern religion because it really is a big issue in our culture today and it informs a lot of people's views about God and about life. It's talked about on college campuses, university settings, uh, professors lecture, share their lives, celebrities talk about it. Um, it's talked about at the local Starbucks and people are you know, talking about life and what they believe and what they think about life, what they think about God. In fact, think about this with me for a moment. In the last 10 years, the United States, in the last decade in the U.S., Christianity has only grown by 5%. Islam has grown by 110%. Buddhism has grown by 170%. And Hinduism has grown by 237%. And what I want to do today is I want to talk specifically about Hinduism because Hinduism is kind of the mother of all Eastern religion or religious thought. And I'm not so worried that you're going to run out of this place and become Hindus as much as I am concerned that your children and your grandchildren are being influenced without you even realizing it through the media, through literature, through television and through conversation by certain ideas or philosophy that comes right out of Hinduism. In other words, you don't have to necessarily become a full, you know, fledged Hindu to adopt certain aspects of it. And we live in what has truly become a pluralistic society. And what I mean by that word pluralistic, we live in a culture in a day where people want to grab different parts and pieces of many different religions and kind of mix it all together and say, this is who I am, this is what I believe, and this is what I believe life is all about. And Hinduism lends itself. Hinduism is like a huge buffet that says, here's what we believe, but you can take any part of us because Hinduism believes that eventually all paths will lead to God. So what is Hinduism all about? Well, let's start with the history. Hinduism is claimed by many to be the oldest religion in the world. I believe that, that Christianity is when we think about worshiping the true God. But as far as man-made religions go, yes, Hinduism is the oldest. It began around 3000 B.C., before even the time of Abraham. And it began in that area of the world that we know of today as India. Over time, its oral teachings were collected and written down in sacred writings. There are four major sacred writings that the Hindus hold to called Vedas. But then there are uh, some other collections of sacred writings that they also uh, hold to and, and deeply believe in. And it's all these writings that give birth to their beliefs. Now, 
Hinduism is an extremely complicated religion, and we could spend a whole semester's worth of, of classroom time trying to understand it. Even Hindus don't fully understand it, and there are many schools or streams of thought that come out of Hinduism, some that are even in disagreement with each other. So I'm not here to explain the whole thing, but I, I do want to try to boil it down to its very essence. I'm no expert in Hinduism, all right? So if you know some other things that I don't know, then I, I totally appreciate that and respect that about you but here here are the basics and that's what I kind of want to pass on to us today because I think we really need to understand it especially if we are parents and grandchildren because I'm telling you right now your kids right now are being influenced by certain thoughts and philosophies that come right out of this religion that are as I said earlier permeating much of what takes place in our culture the media and especially uh, literature So let's start with asking ourselves, what do Hindus believe about God? Because there's some confusion in this whole area. First of all, Hindus do believe in one God, all right? And when I say one God, I mean one overarching supreme being. And they give him a name, and his name is Brahman. And he is the overarching supreme being, but... Brahman is not like our concept of God as as Christians. Brahman is an energy. Brahman is a force. How many of you remember Star Wars, right? Okay. You could say that Brahman is the force in in Star Wars. Uh, Brahman has no personality. So Brahman is, you know, you can't think of Brahman as love. You can't think of of Brahman in, in some sense of passion. Brahman is the consciousness behind the universe. Brahman is this energy that is in the universe. Brahman truly cannot be known in the sense that you and I would think of knowing God today as Christians. So the question becomes, well then how do we even know about Brahman if Brahman is impersonal and Brahman cannot be known? It's because Brahman has expressed itself in deity beings in gods and in hinduism there are over 300 million gods that kind of reveal brahman to the rest of us there are three of these gods who are um kind of the super gods of of all the other 330 million and uh one of them is called uh brahma and brahma is seen as the god uh of creation another one is called vishnu And Vishnu is seen as one who preserves what Brahma has done. And then there is Siva. And Siva is one who destroys, who brings uh, uh, destruction, all right? Now, it's also believed that these various gods from time to time have actually become incarnate, have taken on human flesh in order to be amongst mankind to reveal to mankind certain things. And so they become, here's an interesting word, maybe you've heard of it, they become what's known as avatars. Wasn't there a movie out recently called Avatar? And an avatar is a savior or a rescuer who comes to kind of rescue. 
Guatma Buddha is considered by some Hindus to have been an avatar and incarnation of Vishnu. Some people would say that Jesus, some Hindus believe that Jesus Christ was an avatar. In fact, some Hindus would say, no, that Jesus Christ was a God figure. All right? That's how they look at it. And so in Hinduism, to represent these various gods, they are really into idolatry. And so you'll have uh, temples that are devoted to specific gods, and people will come and they will worship those images. They'll make sacrifices to those images. They will pray to those images. They will devote their lives to those images in order to have a connection with Brahman. Because here's another thing about Brahman. Brahman, um, also this energy force, permeates all of creation, all of living creation. So in other words, Brahman can be found, this energy can be found in plant life. This energy life can be found in animal life. And this energy can be found in human life. All right? And so I'll draw my famous stick figure here. All right? And bald as usual. uh, Because bald is beautiful, right? All right? And uh, I think I'll give feet today. All right? And so... Within each one of us, let's just imagine now, okay, let's imagine that, you know, we're into Hindu thought. In each one of us, we would believe as Hindus, is a piece of Brahman, is, is part of this energy force. And that is called Atman. Atman is our soul, and that's where that energy is. And what we would believe as Hindus, or what Hinduists teach, is that the whole goal in life is to get reconnected with Brahman. To get the Atman in our life, the energy force of God in us, reconnected with him. And so that is a process. It takes time for that to happen. It does not happen in one lifetime. And because it doesn't happen in one lifetime, Hindus believe in reincarnation. And that is that you and I will go through probably millions Makes me sick to think about it. Millions of lifetime, like a spiritual groundhog day, if you've ever seen that movie. It, you know, you just keep living your life over and over and over and over again. Because there's something in the way of you getting connected to Brahman. And what's in the way is what's known as the law of karma. All right? And karma has to do with deeds. It has to do with good thoughts, good deeds, bad thoughts, bad deeds. And all of us Hindu, Hindus would teach, all of us struggle with the good and the bad. Now here's what's interesting. Hinduism does not believe that you are born with a sinful nature. What Hinduism teaches is that you are born ignorant of the fact that you have Brahman in you. And your focus is, is on the physical world. And because your focus is on the physical world around you, we have a tendency then to be influenced by our environment and therefore have bad thoughts and commit bad deeds. What needs to happen is we need to get focused on the God that is in us, okay? So that we can eventually get rid of our bad karma and only have good karma. And when we finally have no more bad karma in us, we will, we will have reached what's called nirvana, And nirvana is when I finally lose consciousness of myself and I become absorbed into Brahman. 
like a drop of water in the ocean. I lose all personality. I lose love. I lose feeling. I lose all those things. And I just become one with the universal vibe. All right? So how do you get there? How, how do I get here then? How do I get rid of that bad karma? Well, Hindus uh, believe that there are some paths that you can take to help you do this over the course of time as you are reincarnated. Because like I said, it takes time to get rid of the bad karma and get the good karma going. All right? And uh, these paths follow several different um, uh, pathways. Well, one of them is the way of good deeds. If you will give yourself completely to good deeds, to doing good, doing good, doing good, doing good, eventually you can rid yourself of all bad deeds. You can actually rid yourself of all bad thoughts because take good thoughts and do good deeds. Another way uh, to get there is by the way of self-denial. This is the idea of kind of becoming a recluse, denying yourself of all relationships, denying yourself, you know, of food and pleasure and those kinds of things, living a very minimal life and, and just focusing on the God within. Another path that you can take is the way of knowledge. Just read the sacred texts. And one of the longest pieces of literature in all of of history is contained within the Hindu system. And you can study that until your mind gets so full of, quote, the truth or the wisdom that is needed that you'll lose self-consciousness and become one with Brahman. Or there's the way of devotion. And this is the most preferred way that Hindus use. That is, devote yourself to a particular god by worshiping that idol that represents that god. Devote your life to making prayers. Devote your life to making sacrifices. Devote your life to all that that God teaches and all that God represents. And someday, when you die, okay, you won't be reincarnated again. You'll be absorbed into Brahman. And the last way is the way of meditation. You know, you just, you and I just need to get together, all right, and through some exercises, physical exercises, and through some psycho-spiritual meditation, We need to just get in touch with the God that is within each one of us. And when we finally get to that place through transcendental meditation, we finally get to that place where we are fully focused on the Brahman within us, then we will finally be absorbed into Brahman himself. Now, these various teachings and these various ideas are saturating our culture in many different ways, through many different personalities, through media, movies, through music, and through literature. You don't have to be a full-blown Hindu to accept all these things. But pieces and parts of this are in our culture today, and it's very, very appealing to people, and I'm sad to say appealing to even what I would call weak Christians who don't understand their faith. And I know that in this particular setting this morning we have parents and grandparents and i'm telling you what your kids are being bombarded by this i'm ringing the alarm bell right now they're hearing it seeing it and it happens subconsciously and they don't even know about it say well what's the draw about uh an i uh, a religion like this what what's the draw there well first of all it dumbs god down it makes god an impersonal force and i don't have to be accountable to him And for a lot of people who don't want accountability, and that's a whole lot of people in our culture these days, that's very appealing. I don't have to be accountable. Secondly, it does away with this whole idea of original sin. I'm not born a sinner. Hey, listen to this. I'm born with 
God in me. God's kind of existing inside of me. God's kind of part and parcel of me and who I am. And uh, thirdly, I can work it all out myself. I can just work out my own salvation. I can, I can just do this thing myself. Now, it might take me a few thousand, a few million uh, lifetimes, but I'm going to get there. Say, man, pastor, that's kind of heady stuff. I, whew, it, it just seems really kind of complicated to me. Can you know, help me understand this better? And I'm glad you asked me to do that because I've got a way I want to do that this morning. Um, I really want you to understand this so you can talk about it, and especially talk to your kids and grandkids about it. But I've got some bread dough up here, all right? And it's definitely smelling good, all right? We'll bake it afterwards and have a little party. But uh, there's some bread dough up here. And I want you to imagine for just a moment as we kind of dial into this again that this represents Brahman, all right? And uh, I'm going to need some volunteers to help me out with this. So if I could just get like four or five volunteers to come right up here, I'd appreciate that. I can stay here till 11. 12, 1, 2, storms all day. 1, I've got 2, I've got 3. Anybody from this side? 4, Uno Mas, 1 more? 5, all right, good. Here's what I'd like you guys to do. Each take a piece of Brahman, okay? Pinch and take. But don't eat it. I mean, at least not yet. All right. All right, you guys weren't afraid to do that, okay? Now, you guys represent the rest of humanity, okay? And each of you has a piece of Brahman. Hold your Brahman up. That means within you is a little bit of God, all right? But here's the problem, all right? Brahman is way up here, and you're way down there. And you want to get connected to Brahman. Isn't that cool? They all kept their hands up like that, all right? Yeah. Simon says, put them down, okay? All right. I mean, Brahman says, put them down, okay? All right? So they've got that little piece in them, and they want to get, they want to get connected to the big piece. That's, that's all about life. But there's this law of karma at work. We just talked about that, right? See, they were ignorant that they had God in them. So they were focused like on the world around them. That leads to this battle between good karma and bad karma in their life. But they've now become enlightened by Yogi Hummel, all right? And they've just discovered, they've just discovered that there's God within them. And so now they're going to begin this journey of, of just emptying themselves of self so that all that's left is the God within them. And so they now begin this journey and they're going to go through lifetimes of being reincarnated. So I want you guys to stagger up, uh, not stagger up the steps, but stagger yourselves on the steps here, okay? In fact, some of you just stay on the bottom step. A couple of you, let me get somebody up here on the top step. Come on, we get involved, all right? You can come up. I, okay, good. Because, see, in Hinduism, we all start, you know, as, as basic life forms. We probably all at one time were amoebas or worms or rats or whatever it was, right? And what happened was we started to evolve because, you know, we were good rats and we were good worms or whatever it was. We had enough good karma until finally we became the lowest common human being in the, in the Indian system, the lowest caste, right? The untouchables. And uh, we ended our life with more good than bad karma and we kind of moved up the system. And by the way, you can always know what kind of former life you had by how good or bad your life is. If right now you guys, you know, if right now you're going through some really hard stuff, if you feel like your life has been hard and harsh, it's because you were a bad person in your last life. So you need to get, to act, you need to get your act together because your karma always follows you, all right? 
And the idea here is that if you guys will live good enough, you'll take a step up, so go ahead. Your conditions will improve, all right? Until finally, one of you has gotten rid of all the bad karma and you actually make it to nirvana. So take one more step. He made it to nirvana. And now he puts his dough back and he becomes one with Brahman, all right? And, and I want them all to have an opportunity to be one. I don't want them to be left. But by the way, if they end this life with bad karma, they could take a step down. So why don't you guys take a step down? And guess what? You start all over again from that level, okay? But all of you come up here and give me some, give me some bread, all right? All right, good. Well, get all the way to nirvana. You've got to make it all the way, all right? And now you are one. Let's together. One, two, three, ready? Hum. Okay, leave, all right? Give them a hand. Thank them, all right? Now, as silly as that seemed, does that kind of help a little bit? Do you see? I mean, I really boiled it down, folks, to the basics, all right? I really, and if you're here today and you, you are the Hindu religion, I don't mean to offend, but that's, that is the basics of where, of where it starts and what, and what they believe. And it gets more complicated after that. Now, folks, listen carefully. It is in total opposition to what the Word of God teaches us about who God is and about who we are. And I don't want to end this message by just simply telling you what some other religion believes and we disagree with it. I, I want to end by showing you what we do believe. And, and I, want, I want you to hear what we believe. I know many of you know this, but I want you to hear it again because I'm telling you what. When I look at what Eastern religion offers and I look at what the God of the Bible offers, I wonder to myself, why on earth would anybody want all that? I don't care if it makes God impersonable and makes you unaccountable. I don't care if it says that there's some God within you. I don't care if it allows you to work out your own salvation. When you really think about what God, the living God, has to offer us, it is far superior, it's more exciting, it's it's life-giving, it's truth. Our God, the living God, is not an impersonal God. Our God has a personality. You know, the Bible tells us that God is a spirit. John 4, 24. Read it aloud with me. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Our God is not a force and not an energy out there. Yes, he is spirit. Yes, he fills up space and space cannot contain him. But our God, our God is alive. Our God, he lives Read with me, if you will, John 5, 26. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. And God loves us so much, he revealed himself to us. He didn't keep himself hidden. He revealed himself to us in who? In his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you know that our God loves? John three 16, let's read it together. For God loved the world so much... That he gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that good news? That's great news. You know our God not only loves but our God. Did you know that our God actually speaks? He speaks. Listen to this passage coming out of Matthew 3. Read it together. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. This is that, you know, this is that Jesus baptism, right? The father actually speaks and says, This is my son. I love my son. 
And of course, Jesus spoke. And when Jesus speaks, God is speaking. And we have our Bibles to remind us that God has spoken to us. These 66 holy and precious sacred books have his word communicated to us. You know, God is also working in his universe. He doesn't stand apart and wind it up like a clock and let it go. God is actively at work. Listen to what it says in John five seventeen. With me, please. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. What do you think God's working to do? He's working to save mankind. Remember what Jesus said? I'm willing that none should perish, but all should come. Or the New Testament says, I'm willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. That's my whole mission in life. That's God's work in this world. His work is to see people who don't know him come into relationship with him. And God knows everything that's going on in our lives. I like what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Read it with me. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Isn't that beautiful? God knows all about us. He knows us. God also has a will. Let's read together Matthew seven twenty one. Read it with me. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So God has a will and God expects us to perform or carry out his will and submit to his will. And finally, we could go on all day, all right? The personal attributes of God. God also sees. In Matthew chapter 6, let's read together. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now that's good news and bad news, huh? That God sees everything, but nothing's hidden from God, is it? God sees everything. You know what? When I read about the God of the Bible, the true and the living God, He is intimately connected with His creation. He knows all about us. He sees everything in us. He loves us. He's at work in us. And he's at work around us. Here is a God who wants to be with us. Who wants to be with us. Who wants to be in us. And who wants to be through us. But you know the Bible also teaches me something very different than what Hinduism teaches. It tells me that I'm not born with God in me or a piece of God in me. I know Genesis says that I've been created in the image and the likeness of God, but that does not mean that I have God in me. It just means that God, when he created mankind, has given man a moral likeness to himself. And what he's given man that he hasn't given to any other animal is the capacity to will to do. To will to obey and love him or the will to reject him. And that's that image and that's that likeness in us. But the reality is our parents rebelled against God, Adam and Eve, remember? And we have inherited that rebellious nature. Romans 3.23 reminds us, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And there's nothing that you and I can do to climb some ladder to meet the approval of God by enough good thoughts and enough good works to be accepted by Him. I like what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Let's read aloud together. 
God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. I'm actually very grateful for that. Because if salvation were a matter of being rewarded for how many good things we've done, none of us would ever make it. Or it would be a real competition, wouldn't it? And who would decide and who would judge who's been good enough? God says, none of you are good enough and I'm not going to let you into heaven based on how much good thoughts and good deeds you've done. It's all about what my son has done for you. And you need to confess him as your savior and you need to put your faith in him. Romans 10 puts it this way. If you confess to your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Finish it with me, please. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Now, I love that, don't you? I mean, that's a whole lot better than being born over and over and over and over again trying to do more good than bad in order to try to eventually get to some place 10,000 lives from now where I get absorbed into an impersonal being and lose all consciousness of who I am. That's not what God has established for us. Actually, God promises us that if we'll put our faith in Him, that if we will trust Him, that when we die, we will go to be with Him. Just as when I die, if I haven't put my faith and trust in him, I won't get a second chance to be reborn as some creature or as some other person. No, that's not going to happen, folks. The Bible tells us that if I reject God's love and God's grace, I choose for myself the destiny known as hell. And God is willing that none should perish. That's why he gave his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't want anybody to spend their eternity in suffering and in pain. That's why he's opened the door and made the way through his son. The only way to salvation, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and him alone. I don't care what other religions teach. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what you would like it to be. I don't care if you want it to be many ways. There's only one way and his name is who? His name is Jesus. But here's the wonderful promise. The wonderful promise is that someday when you die... Someday when our Lord returns, you are going to be transformed. You're not going to lose a consciousness of yourself. You'll know as you are known, listen, but you'll be gloriously transformed. And that battle with sin and that battle with evil will be all done and all finished. And you will truly stand in a completed form that is far, far superior than what any other religion offers listen to these words of the apostle paul found over in first corinthians chapter 15 because they're glorious words they are words for you this morning listen he says but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret we will not all die but we all will be transformed it'll happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die... 
this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, the living God, the true God, the personal God, the God who loves and knows and wills and sees. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then listen to Paul. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong. Be immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Father, this morning, I pray for this congregation. I pray for myself. That we would rest our hopes squarely on your son, Jesus Christ. And what he has done for us to have eternal life. If you're here this morning... You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've been dabbling in other religions. You've been thinking that other things are going to work. I hope you see the futility of them. They're all man-made. It's all about my efforts. And we can't save ourselves. Why not let God do for you what only God can do? With our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning, you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart. You're unsure about it. Let's make sure today. I want you to receive Christ. I want to lead you in a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Here's what I want you to do if that's you this morning. Would you raise your hand high just so I can see your hand just as your accountability saying, Pastor, today I want to give Jesus charge of my life. I want to give him a chance in my life. I want to stop doing it my way. Anybody? If you have your hand raised, pray this simple prayer with me. Father, I believe that your son Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And today I'm putting my faith and hope in Him. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart to take over. I don't want to be Hindu. I don't want to be a Muslim. I don't want to be any other religion. I just want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, for every heart that just prayed that prayer, I pray that you would rush in with your spirit, your peace, your power, and your presence. And make yourself known. And, oh, God, I pray for your church all around this world today that we would stop being a religion, that we would stop being known by what we are against, but we would be known for what we are for and who we are for. I pray, oh, God, that you would keep us from just being rule keepers. I pray that the living God, the true and living God, would be palpable in our lives, that your presence would be felt in our services, that people may know that God is real, that God is alive and God is moving and God is stirring and God is at work. And Lord, the only thing that can stop that is sin in our lives. And so this morning we confess our sins to you. We ask you to forgive us for our compromises with sin. We ask you to cleanse our hearts, O oh God, so that you can live and move in us freely and powerfully for your glory. Lord, we thank you this day for loving us. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you that we don't have to come and worship some man-made idol. And we get to worship the true and the living God.